Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We continue our series on the story of Jesus. As we're working our way through the Gospel of Luke, we have been in chapter 5 for the last several sermons. We'll be for a little while longer, but not too much longer, and then we'll move on to chapter 6. And the title of my message today is, Do You Need a Doctor? And so I just ask you that today. Do you need a doctor? You say, well, I'm not really exactly sure how you mean that. I've got a doctor, I've got things going on in my body maybe that I'm consulting a doctor about. Do you need a doctor? You know, there are times that we have some kind of illness, disease, physical problem that it is obvious we need a doctor. You get into a car accident or something else, you got a broken bone. If the bone's sticking out through the flesh, you need a doctor. Even if it's not sticking out, you need a doctor. You got a bad cut. You know, there's a number of things we can think of and perhaps you could even give stories of in your life that you went through, that you were in a situation, something was happening in your body, you knew you needed a doctor and you're still here today, so probably you got to one. But as you are aware, there are some physical problems, illnesses, conditions that we may have and everything looks good on the outside. And everything may feel fine all the way through. And we need a doctor, but we don't need it. But we don't, but we don't know it. You know, we have some kind of, and I'm not making, I'm not going to linger on this. Don't want this to be depressing. You have some kind of mass growing in your body or whatever. I had a situation like that a couple years ago that totally by accident and a routine test for something else, they found a little cyst and they thought it could be cancerous. I went through a whole thing for a couple months. It turned out not to be. It was just a cyst and we were so thankful, but I wasn't aware of it. I felt fine. Maybe some of you have a story where you've been through that and it wasn't fine and I I, I certainly pray for you and um, I know that can't be easy to deal with. But we're going to see both those types of people in our story today. People that need a doctor and they know it. And people that need a doctor but they don't know it. Or at least they're not willing to recognize it. They're not willing to admit it. As we jump into our story today in Luke chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verses 27 to 32. To kind of catch you up if you've not been following along. But many of you have been here every Sunday. Jesus is in the beginning part of his ministry. He's already started traveling around preaching and teaching and healing and calling disciples. He hasn't called all of his disciples yet because he's going to call another one today. In Luke in particular, the Gospel of Luke, we've seen that he's already called Peter and his brother Andrew, James and his brother John. They were fishermen. They were seemed to be uh, working together as family business. And Jesus calls them to follow him and he, they have left everything to follow him. So he's been traveling around and he's been in the city of Capernaum a number of times. Capernaum is a little seaside village off of the Sea of Galilee. That's where Peter, Andrew, James, and John uh, did their fishing business. We see that he's ministered there. He's spoken in the synagogue at least once. 
He's healed people there. There was one night we've referred to a number of times. We talked about about a month or so ago where he went to the synagogue and a guy got healed. And then later on in the day when the sun went down and people were free to move about because of their Sabbath laws, hundreds of people came to the house where Jesus was staying and he healed them. He spent time with each one, one on one, and he healed them and delivered them. And so he's been in Capernaum a couple of times. And so I'm sure that by now, and probably long before now, everybody in Capernaum's heard about Jesus. In fact, last week, something happened that I'm sure the news just raced through the town. Jesus had come back to Capernaum again, and he's teaching in a house. So many people have gathered together. They're all packed inside the house. They're packed outside every door, packed outside every window. You know, you can barely get a glimpse of him, and some friends are bringing this guy that's paralyzed for Jesus to touch him and heal him, and they can't get through. They dig the hole through the roof and lower him down, and that was last week's story. If you missed it, you can watch it or listen to it online. So all this news is going around. And that's where we pick up our story today. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 26, uh, 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. So after all this stuff, the story is also told in Mark and it's also told in Matthew Mark tells us that Jesus had been teaching by the seaside. He's still in Capernaum. And as he's leaving that place, it seems to imply that he's still at the seaside. And he sees this tax booth. He sees this tax collector. His name is Levi. But that's not the name he's most well known for in the Bible. How many of you know what his other name was or is? I hear some people say, Matthew. You've heard of Matthew. He's the one that ends up writing the first gospel we have. We got Matthew, Mark, Luke. We're going through Luke and John. Most people back then had their, at least the Jewish people, they had their Jewish name, and that was Levi. But his Greek name or Roman name or Latin name, whatever it was, it was Matthew. And he's one of the disciples. He becomes one of the disciples. But right now he's a tax collector. How many of you like tax collectors today? Nobody likes tax collectors today, right? I mean, we don't actually have tax collectors. People come around and collect our tax. I guess unless we do it wrong, deliberately or not deliberately, and somebody has to come deal with us. But the Jewish people are under the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire rules over most of the then known world, at least within the context of biblical um, understanding. And they support their government through extensive system of taxation. They tax whole regions. Then within those regions, it's broken down to tax certain areas. And then those areas are broken down to tax certain smaller areas, down to cities and such. And they had developed such a a strong system of taxation. Basically, at the highest level, they would tell the next level below, this is how much you need to collect from your area of responsibility for taxes. And even though it wasn't really stated, it was kind of understood, if you can collect more than that, you can keep the leftover. Can you imagine the opportunity for extortion and for graft and for, 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 for taking advantage and oppressing people? And that's exactly what had happened. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jew. And if you're familiar at all with the story of Jesus' life, you know that people did not like tax collectors. And it wasn't just because they were tax collectors. 
In fact, it seems like they were put in a totally and completely separate category of sinners. And so were prostitutes. But sometimes in the Bible you hear it talks about, and there are people there that were sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors, as if that was the worst possible type of sinner you could be. Why did they feel that way about it, other than the fact they didn't want to pay taxes? Well, because they were guilty, many of them, of taking advantage of people, of extorting money from them, of overtaxing them, Tax collectors had the right to stop anybody anytime and search them, except for Roman ladies. Don't know why that law was there, but anybody else. They could search your goods. And there was all different kinds of taxes. They would tax you just for living. I know we get that tax too. You know, just for being alive, you had to pay a tax. You know, they could tax you because you traveled from one place to another. If you had a cart, they could tax your cart, every wheel on the cart, every animal pulling the cart. They could tax your goods. So Matthew is a tax collector in Capernaum. And tax collectors were despised, hated, and rejected by their own people because they were considered traitors. They were working for the Romans, the conquerors. You're a traitor. You're taking advantage of your own people. And not only that, for the religious leaders in particular and the Pharisees and the scribes, we're going to see them in the story here, you were extra, extra, extra sinner because you were constantly with the heathen, unclean Gentiles. They were ostracized. If you became a tax collector, you got kicked out of your family. You got kicked out of the synagogue, the local place of worship that wasn't just a place of worship, but it was a place of relationship. It was a place of fellowship. It was the place where you went to school. It was basically your life outside your family was the synagogue. And you were kicked out of both of those. So why do people do it? For the money. I mean, there may have been other reasons. Now, just a little side note that as a tax collector, Matthew had to be really, really good at writing things down and reading and keeping records. Isn't it amazing that God used him to write one of the gospels that we have? God used the training and the abilities he had as a terrible sinner hated by his people to promote the gospel. You know, God can still do that today. Anyway, we, we, we see that Jesus got done with the time of teaching on the seashore. He walks by this tax booth and it says he went out and saw this tax collector. This word saw means not just it caught his attention. He saw him out of the corner of his eye. He looked, there was, that, that word means to look at to focus on with intent and purpose. Jesus saw Matthew right where he was. And Jesus sees us right where we are. That can make us feel comforted. That may make us feel a little bit paranoid. But Jesus saw Matthew. And he said to him, follow me. What is he wanting him to do? He's wanting him to become a disciple. That was a technical way of putting it. Follow me. Be my disciple. Disciples were people that would be attached to a rabbi, a teacher. And the idea was that you would travel. You wouldn't just go to school and this is the guy that taught you. You would travel with them. You would live with them. You would go and do things with them. And the idea was that they were somebody you respected. They had agreed to let you be a disciple. You wanted to learn everything that they knew. But you also wanted to be just like them. And so Jesus calls Levi, he calls Matthew to be one of his disciples. And to me, that raises a question we don't have the answer. 
What kind of contact might Levi, Matthew have had with Jesus before? We don't know. But being in Capernaum, as a tax collector, he knew just about everybody. And I'm sure that he had heard all the stories. Perhaps he'd even attended some of Jesus' teaching sessions. Perhaps he's even seen Jesus heal people. We don't, we don't know. Perhaps he just heard about him and this is the first time he's ever in Jesus' presence. But it also makes me think, what kind of contact might Matthew have had with the other disciples? Which Jesus hasn't called them all yet, but we know he's called Peter and Andrew, James and John. Now keep in mind, Matthew is a tax collector. He is taking, he is collecting tax from businessmen. He is taking and collecting tax from shopkeepers. He is collecting tax from fishermen. Bible doesn't say, but I have no problem believing that Matthew and Peter and James and John and Andrew had, Andrew had probably had some interaction before. As Peter, John, Andrew, and James did their family business of fishing, and they had to pay taxes on the fish they caught every day. Can you imagine getting a great catch and then having to go to the tax collector's booth or having him show up as you pull into shore to get Rome's portion? I'm sure that when Peter and James and John, I get, I'm just painting a picture that's in my mind. Peter, James, John, Andrew are with Jesus and he's just had this great teaching time on the shore. They're walking away and there's the tax collector and Peter, James, John, and Andrew are like, and Jesus says, hey, come follow me. And Peter, Peter, like, what? Wait a minute. No, not Matthew, not Levi. He's a tax collector. Even beyond that, later on, Jesus is going to have a disciple whose name is Simon the Zealot, not Simon Peter. The Zealots were people that wanted to overthrow Rome, and they were willing to even use violence to do it. Can you imagine Simon the Zealot, who was so zealot and so phenomenally passionate about overthrowing Rome that before Jesus, he was willing to kill people for it, perhaps. Now he's a disciple along with Matthew, who worked for Rome to collect the taxes that the people were so upset about. It just shows you that Jesus can put people together and if they work together with Jesus and allow him to do his work in their lives, he can bring unity and passion and, and relationship. And they didn't get there. It took them a while to get there. It took them until about the day of Pentecost. Anyway, that's a little bit of background about Matthew and Jesus and the disciples. But Jesus calls and says, follow me. As we go on in our story, verse 28. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Think about that. He's sitting in his tax booth. Probably has a Roman soldier nearby to protect him and to protect the taxes. And Jesus says, why don't you come follow? Why don't you be my disciple? And he just leaves everything behind, just gets up and goes. You know, when Jesus called the disciples to follow him, and they did, I'm sorry, the fishermen to follow him, and they did, if something happened, they could have gone back to the family business. But when he calls Levi, when he calls Matthew to follow him and he gets up and leaves everything, he can't go back. Roman government is not going to reemploy him, not if you're walking away from his tax table. Jesus says, follow me. Become my disciple. What does it mean to follow someone? It means to go down the same path. In fact, the idea here is to walk the same road. He says, Levi, Matthew, would you walk my road with me? And Matthew immediately and wholeheartedly said yes. Maybe not out loud, the Bible doesn't say, but through his actions, he just got up and left everything behind. 
So we go on in the story, verse 29. And Levi made Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. So Levi, Matthew, he has this tremendous feast. And it says for Jesus. Why is he having this feast? Two, two purposes we can surmise from this story. Number one, he wants to honor Jesus. Through all of this, whatever's going on in Matthew's mind and his willingness to leave everything behind to follow Jesus, he honors Jesus. But not only that, he's got a bunch of other friends who are tax collectors and sinners and stuff, and he wants them to meet Jesus. So he throws a big party, and Jesus and his disciples go. Get down to verse 30. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? I don't know if the Pharisees and scribes are like stalking Jesus or what. You know, we, we studied last week that they had come to check Jesus out. And when Jesus healed the guy that was the paralytic, but first he said, your sins are forgiven. And then he exercised the power that proved that he had the ability to forgive sins, that the scribes and the Pharisees are all upset. This is the beginning of that conflict that's going to lead to Jesus's crucifixion. And so they're probably assigning different ones to follow Jesus wherever he goes to see what he's going to do, to see what he's going to say, to maybe stack up evidence to be used against him at some point. But apparently they followed him to Matthew's house. A lot of times banquets were kind of in open areas other people could watch. Don't know if that's the situation here, but obviously the Pharisees and the scribes know what's going on. And here is Jesus with his disciples and they are eating with these terrible worst of sinners. In their culture, to eat with someone was to develop and establish a relationship and to give a certain amount of acceptability. They said, you can't do that. You don't hang out with those kind of people. It'll make you unclean. It'll make you defiled. It means we should reject and alienate you. Verse 31, it says that they're grumbling. By the way, the word for grumbling there is the same word that is used in the Old Testament when God's people are grumbling against Moses and his leadership and all that God is doing and not doing. And it's never a pretty picture in the Old Testament when God's people grumble. So this is kind of the same picture here. These are supposedly God's people, God's religious leaders, and they're grumbling against what God's doing. But it says they grumble to the disciples. So I don't know if they do it in such a way that Jesus overhears or the disciple goes and tells Jesus what they said. But we get Jesus' answer in verses 31 and 32. And it says, and Jesus answered them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here's where our title comes in. Do you need a doctor? Do you need a physician? He says, listen, the people that are sick need a doctor. And these people are sick. You see, Jesus didn't disagree with the idea that the tax collectors were terrible sinners. But what Jesus would believe and what is true that the religious leaders would disagree with is that the religious leaders were also terrible sinners because we're all sinners. And here we have Matthew, who's a terrible sinner, but he is willing to admit it and to turn to the doctor. But we have the religious leaders who are battling their own sins. They may not be as obvious on the outside because these were the men who lived by the law of God. 
who try to do everything right and go above and beyond. But inside, Jesus talks about them off and on throughout the Gospels, that inside is almost like a very pretty tomb that looks so marvelous on the outside, but on the inside it's full of death and decay and rottenness. He says that's the way the religious leaders are. They're full of hypocrisy. They're full of hate. They're full of anger. They're full of pride. And Jesus says, the people that are well don't need a doctor, but those that are sick. He says, that's why I came. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And and I think in that statement, there's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek righteous sarcasm. The righteous don't need to repent. And I think he's trying to say, you think you're righteous. But you know what? Really, you're not. On the outside, you look good. But I've called the sinners to repent. And you see, Jesus is always reaching out to the downtrodden. He's always reaching out to the rejected. He's always reaching out to the oppressed. He's always reaching out to the people that have been rejected by everybody else for whatever reason. And one of the reasons he's always reaching out to them is because they're responding. He does and would reach out just as much to the religious leaders, but they don't respond. They don't think they're sick. They don't think they have a need. And in fact, they end up rejecting Jesus. Jesus came to help the helpless, to give hope to the hopeless. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at a couple of important truths, and there's a whole lot more that I'm going to give you, but these are the ones that stood out to me the most from this story for today. And the first one is this, no one is too bad for Jesus. No one is too bad for Jesus. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but perhaps you were one of those that at one point you thought, you know what? Maybe I should respond to God. Maybe I should look up this, look, you know, check out this Christianity thing and Jesus and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? I've done too much. I've been involved. The stuff that I've done, the stuff that I've said, the stuff that I've thought, the, the, where I've been, Jesus wouldn't want me. And I just want to say this. If, if by some chance you feel that way today, whether you're here or you're watching online, can I tell you that Jesus loves you and he wants you? And he reaches out to you just as he did Matthew and his friends. As I said at the very beginning of the story, it says that Jesus saw Matthew. He really saw him, and he loved him. I know that word's not used there, but it's obvious. In the same way, it doesn't matter what you're involved in or where you're at in your life, no matter what you've done in the past about hurting people and maybe even trying to hurt God, what you've done that may have broken the law or broken God's law. Jesus sees you, but he doesn't see you with eyes of condemnation. He sees you with eyes of love, and he sees the sickness, quote, that you're in, and he wants to heal you. The question is, will you recognize that you need the doctor? And will you come to him? I like this. I don't know if anybody else ever said this, but I just wrote it down. I'm sure somebody else has said it. Jesus didn't just see Matthew for what he was. He saw him for what he could be and what he would be. And the same thing is true for you. Jesus doesn't just see you for what you were or what you are, but he sees you for what you could be and what you will be as you respond to him. So I've said many times, this is a theme of Luke. The key aspect, <clears throat> excuse me, 
of Jesus' ministry always reaching out to the outcasts, the unwanted, the rejected, the marginalized, the overlooked, those who look down upon. So this is good news not just for Matthew and his friends, but it's good news for us too. Jesus reaches out to us and Jesus will reject no one who comes to him. Now let me add a little bit of a, a couple of side thoughts to this point before we go on to the next one. And that is that, you know, for those of us who have responded to that call, for those of us who've accepted the fact that Jesus loves us and has reached out to us and drawn, him, drawn us to himself, and he, we know him. We, 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 we have a relationship with God because of what Jesus did on the cross. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. We need to be like Matthew and invite our friends to come know him. I know that's what we talked about uh, in the sermon last week, so I won't beat that to death. But we need to bring our friends to Jesus. Just like Matthew, the first thing after responding to Jesus called starting out on a new life, he wanted to bring his friends to Jesus. I don't even notice it, but sinners were comfortable with Jesus. And Jesus was comfortable with sinners. You know, if sinners aren't comfortable with us, we might want to ask ourselves why that is. Now, please don't start feeling paranoid. If you are loving other people, but you still take a stand for what is right and you do it in the right way and you don't want to get involved in certain things, you're not going to do certain things because it's not, it's sin, it's whatever, and people get upset with you for that, there's nothing you can do about that. But if I have an attitude of pride and superiority thinking I'm so much better than these sinners and I treat them that way and they don't like me and they're not comfortable around me because of that attitude, something is wrong. Now, let me just also say this, that sometimes what people will use this story as an excuse to go out and do what they want, get involved in an ungodly lifestyle. Well, yeah, I do, I do this, that, and the other. But you know, Jesus, you know, he hung out, he partied with the sinners. Yeah, that's true. But he didn't get involved in the sin with the sinners. He went to where the sinners were. He reached out to the sinners. He befriended the sinners. But it wasn't so that he could become like them, but so that they could be set free from their bondage and become like him. It's sort of like the story we looked at a couple of weeks ago when Jesus heals the leper. You didn't touch a leper. In fact, you didn't get close to a leper. And the leper came close to Jesus and said, if you, if you will, you, you can heal me. You can cleanse me. Jesus said, I will. And he reached out and touched him. He didn't have to, but he touched him. He said, be cleansed. And the leper didn't contaminate Jesus. Jesus cleansed the leper. Amen. And he does the same for us. I want to tell you something. I wish that every single one of us had a bunch of unsaved friends. And we'd go and hang out at their parties. And we'd be involved in activities that they host or partake of or whatever without getting involved in sin, but for the express purpose of loving them and leading them to Jesus. And that's a delicate balance to walk. Because, you know, when you hang out with people who are involved in certain things, you're going to be tempted. And so we've got to all balance that. I remember when I was a youth pastor and and uh, we'd have the discussion, is it okay to have friends that aren't Christians? And, and we'd talk about this very issue. It's like, yes, we should have friends that aren't Christians, but the important question is, who is influencing whom? You see, if you've got sinner friends, you've got 
people, and that sounds terrible, it's the truth, but, you know, people who are involved in ungodly activity and by being a part of a relationship with them, it's drawing you because of a weakness or you're just not mature enough or whatever into sin, you may need to back off in that particular relationship. Okay? Because you've got to protect your own spiritual health. But I think sometimes Christians go too far the other way. They're like, I'm a Christian now. I've got to cut off all ties to the world. I'll cut off all ties to people that don't know Jesus. We're just going to stay in our holy huddle. You know, I love my church family. I love my church family. I hope you love your church family. But we don't need to just huddle together and wait for Jesus to come back. That's not why he left us here. He calls us to be salt and light in the world. We need to be in the world, but not of it. Making a difference. So it's not the main point, but something to think about is how do your friends affect you and how do you affect your friends? Well, let's go on. I said that no one is too bad for Jesus. The second truth I want to draw out of this is that no one is too good for Jesus either. No one is too good for Jesus. The religious leaders thought they were good enough. And they tried harder probably than you and I would to try to do the right thing. We talked about that last week. We think of the Pharisees as the bad guys. They were the good guys in their culture as far as godliness and trying to do the right thing. But they didn't have any use for Jesus. They thought they were healthy. They thought they were righteous. And on the outside, they were. But as I opened up with that illustration, sometimes we may have something going on inside us we're not even aware of or we aren't willing to recognize or admit We need a doctor, but we don't think so. That's the way these religious leaders are. It's like, we're fine before God. We tithe. We do this. We go to the temple. We offer sacrifices. They could make this big, long list. In fact, Jesus is going to tell a parable later in Luke. We'll see it as we continue through the story of Luke about a Pharisee and a tax collector. Another tax tax collector is all through Luke. And it's interesting. Every tax collector Luke mentions, as far as I can remember, turns to Jesus and turns to God because they recognize they need him. But in this parable, the Pharisees praying and saying, God, you're, it's so wonderful. You know, you, you should be so glad you have me. I'm paraphrasing his prayer, but you should be so glad that you have me because I'm such a wonderful person and I do everything right and I tithe and I do this and I don't commit adultery and I don't extort from people. And he's probably looking at the text like this guy over here. But the tax collector, it says, wouldn't even lift up his eyes. He is on his face before God saying, God have mercy on me. I need a doctor. That's my paraphrase. I need, I'm a sinner. We see this theme all through Scripture. These religious leaders, they didn't have any use for Jesus. They thought they were healthy. They thought they were righteous. They didn't know or they weren't willing to admit that they were sick. They looked good on the outside, but inside they were full of sinfulness. The last verse in our story today, verse 32, where Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Again, I think that's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Jesus says, you know, I came to call the people that are sinners. What he really means, I came to call the people that recognize they're sinners. I mean, he came to call the people that thought they were righteous too, but they wouldn't respond because they didn't think they needed to. You say, well, I'm so glad I'm not like that. And I hope we aren't, but we still need to take a close look at that and make sure we don't fall in that same trap. Because as I told you last week, based on what Pharisees believed and how they lived their life, we would all make great Pharisees because we believe the same things. But if we're not careful what's happening on the inside, we can become just like them. You know, before we turn to Jesus, which for some of us is in the past, 
But for some of you, it may be now. You haven't turned to Jesus to be your Savior, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins because of what He did on the cross. Maybe the reason we do that is because, like, well, I don't really need... I'm not that bad. I know I'm not perfect. Have you ever said that? I know I'm not perfect, but man, you know, and then we get into the comparison game, right? I know I'm not perfect, but you know what? Compared to him, her, her, that, that, that group, I'm, I'm good to go. And that philosophy that when I get to heaven, I know that my good deeds will outweigh the bad ones. So I'm good. But the problem is that's not the way it works with God. Not because he's mean or judgmental or whatever, but because God is holy and righteous. He calls us to be holy and righteous and he makes it possible for us to be holy and righteous that sin can't even be in his presence. I tell it to you almost every single week because we need to hear it in case there's somebody else that hasn't heard it. The Bible says that we are all sinners. We are all separated from God and the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but spiritual death, an eternal separation from God and all that is good. And there's absolutely nothing we could do about it. But God loved us so much, he did something about it. That's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't just come to teach like he's been teaching, heal people like he's been healing, raise the dead, cast out demons, be a good example. Jesus came to live the perfect life that we can't live. And in God and Jesus' plans, it was so that when he died on the cross, a death he did not deserve, it would pay the price for our sins. And so if we come to God and say, God, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. I repent of my sins. I know their sins. I want to leave them behind. I'm sorry for them. That's what caused this rift between us, this barrier, this gulf. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Not because I'm good, not because I can earn it, not because I deserve it, but because your word says that Jesus died so that my sins could be forgiven. He paid my price. Please forgive me. I I surrender my life to you. Can I tell you, if you've never done that, that's what you need to do today. You need to be, I mean, that's that's not the words that are coming out of Matthew's mouth. Obviously, it couldn't yet. Jesus hasn't died yet. But basically, that's the choice Matthew's making. He's saying, I'm I'm sorry for my old life. I'm going to follow into it. Here's Jesus. Didn't even totally understand who Jesus was, but he knew he was from God. And he knew he wanted to leave his old life behind. And so he immediately, wholeheartedly left everything behind to follow Jesus. And I encourage you and I challenge you today that if you've not yet done that, you would do that today. That you do that today. But the religious leaders, no, they didn't think they needed it. So before we're saved, sometimes it's like, well, I'm good enough. Maybe I need a little help, but I'm okay. But we also want to avoid the mistake of once we become saved, especially the longer we've known the Lord, it gets easy to get caught up in pride. I'm doing pretty good. Now rejoice in the fact that God's changing you and you're becoming a better person with his help and his spirit is working in you and and you're developing the fruits of the spirit. You're becoming more loving and kind and gentle. Rejoice in that, but don't take pride in it in the sense of looking down on other people. That's what the religious leaders did and that's where they failed and that's where they fell. And they were unwilling to call out to Jesus. We need to realize that we are just sinners saved by grace. You know, any other person that you might see that you might have the tendency to despise, look down upon, or think, I, could, I, I would never be like that. I'll tell you something, under the right circumstances, every single one of us could commit any number of 
atrocious things. It's only because of God's grace that we are who we are. Let me give you the last thought that I want to leave you with today from this story. We can't follow Jesus without leaving some things behind. We can't follow Jesus without leaving some things behind. You see, when we've been cured, when we've been healed by the doctor, he has set us free. He has healed us so we can go on and live a different life. And to do that, we need to leave some things behind. Matthew, Levi left everything immediately. He couldn't go back even if he wanted to. We're going to see another story down the road as we follow through with our study of Luke in Luke chapter 18. Another fellow who was really rich. It doesn't say he was a tax collector. In fact, he, he wasn't a tax collector. He was actually a wealthy young man who actually, who was, who was also a ruler. And he came to Jesus and he had been living a good life. And I don't mean a good life because he's rich, but a good life because he's trying to do the right thing. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Master, what must I do to know for sure that I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what, is, what does God's word say? He says, well, don't commit adultery, don't do this. He kind of goes through the Ten Commandments and the relationship with everybody. And, and, and he says, then do that. Jesus says, do that. He says, well, I have. I, I've lived that way my whole life. And in one of the other gospels, not Luke, it mentions specifically that Jesus looked at him and loved him. It mentions the word love there and loved him. He says, you know what? There's only one thing you need to do to have everything just right. Why don't you leave all that stuff behind? Sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. He says, I've got a better life for you. Walk the road. I'm walking with me. And it said the rich young ruler turned away sad because he was so wealthy and he couldn't leave it behind. We never hear from him again. I'd like to believe that later on he realized he made the wrong choice and did what Jesus asked, but we don't know that. But we have Matthew. Jesus calls him. He leaves it all and goes. The rich young ruler who tries to do everything right and even asks for Jesus' opinion. And Jesus says, you're so close to having it just perfect. Why don't you just leave that life behind and come be with me? Walk my road with me. Follow me. And he couldn't do it. So Jesus asked Matthew to follow him, and it meant leaving everything behind. His occupation. Don't know how much of his fight. He left this very um, lucrative occupation. Don't know what he did with all his money. We knew he used part of it to throw a party because it doesn't say what Jesus asked him to do with it. Maybe he also gave it away. Maybe that's part of the... Uh, the resources they had as they traveled around to pay for their needs. We know that they had some resources from ladies, some rich ladies that traveled with them too that would help support Jesus and the disciples. We don't know, but it's obvious that the point here is that whatever that he needed to leave behind, he left it behind. But what does that mean for us? Again, I could ask for hands to be raised, but I won't because you might think it's embarrassing, although it really isn't, of how many of you before you came to Jesus, wrestled with whether you wanted to or not because you were afraid he might ask you to give up something you don't want to give up. I think we all wrestle with that. There's kind of a joke at Bible college. I think I've told you this before that, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do, but please don't send me to be a missionary in Africa. I mean, there's, there's those certain things in our mind. I, oh, I want to love God. I want to serve God. I want to, but I, there's certain things I really don't want to do. 
But what does it mean for us? Well, it's different for each person. I mean, these two examples, Matthew and this rich young ruler, Jesus called them away from a lucrative situation, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is against rich people or he wants all rich people to, to liquidate all their assets and give them all away. In fact, Paul writes in Timothy about how the riches we have, and I've said this so many times, you guys are getting sick and tired of hearing it, that every single one of us in this room are rich compared to the rest of the world and most of the people through history. Does Jesus want us to get rid of all of it? Well, Paul and Timothy says, tell the people who are rich that God gave them their riches and they're allowed to enjoy it, but the primary reason he gave it to them was to use it for the kingdom of God. You see, there are many, probably many more people who are rich, including ourselves, that God may not call to make some big sacrifice, downsize, and give everything to the poor, but he does call us all to use what he's given us, and not just wealth, but possessions and skills, abilities, and strength for his kingdom. But that in itself is a giving up, isn't it? Because we say, you know what, I'm not going to just use my house just for me, but for whatever God wants to use it for. I'm not going to use my vehicle not just for me, but for whatever God wants to use it for. I'm not going to use my money just for me, but for whatever God wants me to use it for. I'm not going to use my time and energy and effort just for what I want to do and what I have to do by going to work and school. But I want to do what God wants me to do. You see, whatever that means for you, that's what we may need to leave behind. Why do we need to leave things behind? Is it to test our loyalty? I don't really think so. And not only that, but what do we need to leave behind? I want to look at one more passage of Scripture that really kind of clarifies this a little bit. I mean, it doesn't narrow it down. You've got to narrow it down. But Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The previous chapter, chapter 11, is all about these great men and women of God that God used through history. And many of them suffered a lot of things. Many of them went through a lot of difficulties. Many of them were rich. Many of them were prophets. Some were put to death for their faith. Some experienced, you know, ups and downs, all different lifestyles. But the one thing they had in common is they said, God, my faith is in you. My trust is in you. The whole thing is about faith. And it was basically said, God, I trust you. Whatever you want, you've got it. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. And they weren't perfect. There's a lot of scoundrels in that list. But at the very end of that list, and we get into Hebrews chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, says, since there's so many people that have gone before us that have done it right, they didn't do it perfectly, they made mistakes, but they walked by faith. He says, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Paul's using a race metaphor picture here. But we could use the one Jesus used of walking the path. He says, let us lay aside these things so that we can walk the path that Jesus has for us unencumbered. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let me tell you two things specifically that we need to leave behind. Number one, we need to leave behind our sin. We need to leave behind our sin. You know, in the passage today, in verse 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
We can focus all we want on God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, and how we must accept his gift of salvation by faith. But there's also a decision that's involved of repentance. I'm going to leave my sin behind. Repentance means a change of mind and a change of attitude that results in a changed life. We will never be perfect till we get to the end. We will still struggle, but I've made a decision. My sin is what cut me off from God. Why would I keep it in my life? That'd be sort of like a, wife, a husband going to his wife saying, listen, I just got to confess to you. I've been an adult, involved in an adulterous situation and I am so sorry. And she can tell he's really broken, whatever. And she decides to forgive him and rebuild the relationship. And he says, Yay, Grace, I'm going to go out and commit a couple more adulterous relations, or be involved in a couple more. No, you leave it behind. To use the picture of Jesus as a doctor, it's sort of like saying, heal me, doctor, but leave the cancer inside. I kind of got used to the feeling of it. We want the symptoms gone, you know. We don't want all that stuff, the fatigue, the, the pain, but, but leave the cancer inside. How stupid. We've got to leave the sin Behind, it's our sin that makes us sick. It's what creates the problem between us and God. I think of another story of Jesus, John chapter 8. You probably heard it. The woman caught the very act of adultery. That's a, that's a very suspicious story. It's like if she was caught in the act, where's the guy? But the religious leaders bring her to try to trap Jesus. Are you going to condemn her and say, stone her? Or are you going to let her go free and therefore you're breaking God's law? And you probably know the story. They ask him what they should do, and Jesus just begins to write in the dirt. And he says, listen, let the one of you who is completely sinless be the first one to cast the stone. They all walked away one by one because they knew they weren't sinless. I bet they were really ticked off with Jesus. Jesus always had the right answers for them. And when Jesus looked up, he saw the woman. He says, where are your condemners? Where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. He says, I don't condemn you either, but go and sin no more. You see, God, I said earlier, Jesus looks at us and sees us where we are, and it's not to condemn, it's to love us. But he wants us to leave our sin because there will be judgment for sin. And he took care of it. All we got to do is take advantage of what he did for us. The second thing, we must leave behind the things that hold us back from God's best. Can I tell you, there are things and things in our life that may not be sin, but they're holding us back from God's best for us. As the writer of Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 said, leave behind every sin. But before he says, lay aside every weight. And it's the things that may not be sin, but they're holding us back. You know, in the picture of the race, he says, listen, you know, you need to, you need to strip down to light clothes. Don't carry. It'd be sort of like somebody running a race and they're carrying two big suitcases full of weights. No, that isn't how you run a race. Using the picture from today, he says, follow my path. There are certain things that are going to slow us down along the path that God has for us. To use the picture of the doctor, doctor, to have a broken leg and he puts it in a cast and you're on crutches and you go back for that final visit. And he says, okay, it's all healed. I'll take the cast off now and you don't have to use crutches anymore. You say, you know what? I've kind of gotten used to them. That cast protects me from bumping things, you know, and I kind of like the crutches. And again, that's a ludicrous example, but sometimes that's how we are in life. There are things that are slowing us down from what God has for us, and we don't want to let them go. We don't want to let them go. 
See, what are those? That's something you've got to determine before God. What is it that's in your life? I mean, if it's a sin, it's got to go anyway. But if it's not a sin, is it something that's slowing you down? And, and you've got to pray and you've got to ask God about that. So it says, Matthew left everything immediately. Let me, let me think, help you through this. Do you feel sorry for him? I mean, man, he left a lucrative occupation with a lifestyle to match. He had everything he would want. Do you think Matthew felt sorry for himself? No. He went immediately, wholeheartedly. Sometimes we hesitate. He didn't hesitate. Can I tell you that when we hesitate to say, Jesus, everything I am, everything I have is yours, whatever you want, you tell me. We hesitate because we don't really trust that God wants what's best for us. And he's not going to ask us to leave anything behind or give up anything that he doesn't have something better for us. Jesus calls us to follow him and to walk the same road. As I wrap this up, I just want to share with you, it's so sad to me. It'd be sad if it was one person, but it's so sad that there are so many. That as a pastor, and you probably have had the exact same experience, I come across people who earlier in their lives had the opportunity to know God's truth, to know about God's love and mercy and grace and his call on their life and, and what that would mean. But they've decided, you know what, that's not for me. I don't want to follow Jesus's road because it looks dull and boring and no fun. But I want to follow my own road. Now that looks exciting. And maybe it is for a while. Maybe it's fun for a while. Maybe it brings certain blessings and rewards and such that it is. But then you see them a period of time later, sometimes just a year or two or three or five or ten. And the consequences of walking that road instead of Jesus' road. And they look back and say, I wish... I wish, and it's like, God, please change my life. And can I tell you that even if that's you and you've walked that kind of road, God still loves you and God still reaches out to you and God still wants to help you. But some of those consequences you may have to live with for the rest of your life or you're going to have to work hard to get rid of them. Again, I could ask for testimony. I could ask for hands raised. How many of you, maybe that's what you did when you were younger? And you went your own way for a while, but thank God you finally saw the light. You finally came back to Jesus. You finally surrendered to him, and you look back and say, you know what, I wish I would have just surrendered at the beginning. I've heard many people with that testimony. So I just want to challenge all of us, but especially those of you that are here that are younger, our teenagers, our 20s, our 30s, our 40s, our 50s, our 80-year-olds who are younger. If you're wrestling with that whole thing of, I think the path I see in front of me, it's not the path Jesus, I think it's going to be a better path. Don't believe the lie. And the enemy says, well, if you're not going to believe that lie, just you know, follow it for a little while. You can always come back. Don't believe that lie either. Surrender everything to Jesus now. Say, Jesus, whatever you want. I want to tell you something. I've said it many times. Jesus and God have a much better life planned for you, and not just life, but eternity, than you could ever come with on your own. Now, I don't want to mislead you. Life is still life. It's still going to be tough. And there's going to be things that's harder for you as a Christian than if you weren't a Christian. But can I tell you something? It's worth it all. 
After the rich young ruler turned away, Jesus said, it's, it's almost impossible for a rich person to come to God. And Peter says, well, what about us? We're not rich, but we left everything. And Jesus' answer basically just says, God will reward you. You'll be much better off in this life in spite of all the troubles and all that kind of stuff that you're going to experience, and they did, but also for all eternity. And it's still true. So let me ask you this. Do you need a doctor? The proper answer is yes. We all need a doctor. Do you recognize your need? Are you here or are you online and say, you know, I, I really do need Jesus, but I'm too bad. No, no one is too bad for Jesus. Come to Jesus. If you're here or online and say, well, it's, I'm a pretty good person. I don't know that I need that. Yes, you need Jesus. I challenge you to come to Jesus today. But for those of us that do know Jesus, I want to say, are we fully surrendered? It's a process. We're all still working on it. Jesus, here I am. You've got everything. Maybe in this message, you'd say, well, I know Jesus. And he's been speaking to your heart about an area that you need to surrender. And that would be your response today. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to call my wife, Pastor Jan, and our elders to the front. Our worship team will be singing a song. You're welcome to sing along and worship. Let's all stand together, please. But I really want to encourage you to be praying about what God's speaking to you about from this message. And if you want or need prayer for anything, that's why we're down here. If you want to surrender your life to Christ, say, I need a doctor. We'll pray with you about that. If you got some other, if you need an actual physical doctor, but you want God's touch first or in addition to, we'll pray with you about that. If you got a family member or a loved one and they're in need and you want us to pray with you about that situation, we'll be glad to do that. So let's spend a couple of minutes responding to the message and I'll come back and close in just a couple of minutes. Hallelujah. As we close our time of prayer this morning and our time together, how many of you with me would say, you know what? I'm not perfect yet, but I want what God wants. I need God's help. I need his leading. And uh, I need help just being willing to surrender. If he asked me to do something difficult, many, many hands. Father God, we just come to you today. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be better followers of Jesus as we walk down the road that you've prepared for us. Lord, we're tempted to go off to the left, to go off to the right. We're tempted to hold on to things that slow us down. And Father, I just pray that you'd help us, Lord God, that first of all, you'd give us wisdom, that you'd show us anything in our life that needs to change, anything we need to leave behind, get rid of, a different direction we may need to go, a different way in which we can serve you. And Father, then give us the strength to do whatever we need to do, because sometimes it's hard. Father, I thank you for people whose heart is, I want to please Jesus. And God, we don't do it perfectly. And I thank you that when we mess up, you forgive us and you help us to get back up and keep going down the road. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you did take care of the sickness of sin upon the cross. Thank you, Lord God, that we can stand here or sit here or whatever position we're in, wherever we are, knowing that we are free from sin, guilt, shame, bondage because of what Jesus did for us. Thank you, Lord. But God, I also add to that, help us to bring the people around us to you. God, help us in our 
friendships in our place of work and in school with the friends and acquaintances to not just be content in the fact that we're okay with you and we're headed to heaven and we enjoy our relationship with you and our brothers and sisters but that we want to bring as many people with us as we can just like Matthew wanted to bring his friends and show us how we can best do that Father we thank you for that God I pray that as we leave this place today we go out with joy we go out sensing your love and the love of our brothers and sisters. And we go out saying, Jesus, I want to live for you today. I want to rock, walk the road you have for me. And I want to touch the people along the way for you. We give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 